Good evening and welcome to Geek Card right here on Reality Radio 101. And now, right to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Welcome to Geek Card, where on a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand. I'm your host, Andrew Young. With me, as always, is a man with a green hand, Mr. Green. Except, yeah, no thumb, just a hand. Just a hand, yeah. Uh, I definitely not, I do not have a green thumb. No one said you did. I'm just this saying. Is, yeah. No, you have like, it's like a fungus growing on your hand. Yeah, kind of. It's a little, yeah. a little shiny too. It's very, it's a very odd type of thing. Yeah. Shiny moss, you know, that's, you know what? That shows that you're growing. There you go. It's true. It's true. And shiny moss was uh, one of my band names back in the day. So it's yeah. kind of fitting. Yeah. That prog rock band. That was pretty good. Oh, man. Get all be winners. A, yeah, we've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, and it's a night that has a theme of film festivals. <laughs> Later on in the program, we'll be talking with uh, creators Trevor Solway and Colin Van Loon about their web series that's available through APN, APTN Lumi, uh, Tales from the Rets, which is actually going to be featured at next week's blood in the snow film festival in toronto they have a screening there uh, actually next friday night we're also going to be giving our review of a film that myself and mr green saw at the toronto international film festival that just hit theaters wide this past uh, day and that is next goal wins the taika watiti film starring the old fassbender we'll be talking about that some football. I'm talking some football or soccer, as it's known here. Soccer. Is that how it's known here? It's known as the soccer. You playing the soccer? Oh, I'm playing the soccer, boy. Oh, love it. Oh, man. Uh, then, of course, in just a few minutes, we'll be talking with Beatrice King. You may have seen her in various shows and programs. Uh, this is her directorial debut with the short. You Are the Blue, which is going to be playing at the Whistler Film Festival on Saturday, December 2nd. So a lot of film festival stuff going on on the show tonight. We are, we are lovers of film and the way it transforms us and all that. And we're going to talk to some artists about that transformation. And we're going to give our reviews because that's what we do here. That's right. But, we're lovers in a dangerous time. That's right. Lovers in a dangerous time. Yeah, all film is dangerous, so it makes sense. That's right, and so are Bruce Coburn songs. <laughs> and Nick Cave songs as well, if we want yeah, to go yeah. right back to the beginning. So uh, we're, we're not going to be talking about Nick Cave and Bruce Coburn, uh, Bruce Coburn but we're going to be talking about film and film stuff and genre and all that coming your way. But right now we're going to take a commercial break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Beatrice King about You Are the Blue right here, Geek Card, on Reality Radio 101.
everybody. Jimmy the Short Order Cook here, asking you, what's better than listening to Geek Heart? Answer, listen to Geek Heart while wearing a Geek Heart t-shirt. And there's a place you can get them at tpublic.com slash user slash Geek Heart. We got a bunch of great shirts there. We got Geek Heart shirts. We got a Mr. Green's Tasty Meat shirt. Hell, we got a Back Issue Bloodbath shirt. For all your geek needs with your geek merch, you want to go to tpublic.com slash user slash geek heart. I'm not just asking you. I'm telling you. Welcome back to Geek Card right here on Reality Radio 101. And now back to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Welcome back to Geek Card, folks. On this fabulous Friday night, Andrew Young and Mr. Green here. In just a moment, we'll be talking with Beatrice King about her directorial debut with the short... You are the blue. But before I do that, just want to remind you folks that if you're like, man, I like listening to Geek Card. I really love to watch some Geek Card. Well, there's a place you can go to watch some Geek Card, and that is youtube.com slash Geek Show. Go there. We have interviews, like past interviews, the video versions of them up. We've also got some of our uh, video adventures when we go to conventions and things like that you can check it all out at youtube.com slash geek card show and as i said we're getting close to the end of the year we're trying to get a thousand subscribers before the end of the year we're at 550 so we got 450 to go folks so if you can go there if you can subscribe to the youtube channel and then watch some videos maybe leave some comments you'd really be doing me a solid so uh there you go. We don't we don't have any videos on Sacker, but we have uh, we have a lot of great interviews. So definitely go check it out. But now we're gonna get into the program tonight. Of course, if you want to send us an email, email us at geekcardshow at gmail.com. We'll read your email right live on the air. You can ask us about anything, ask about the movie, ask us how we feel, ask questions to the guests. Just ask away, right? If you have a comment, we take comments as well. But now we're going to get into our first guest of the evening. She has been a longtime actor, but uh, she's on tonight to talk about her directorial debut with the short You Are the Blue. Welcome to the program, Beatrice King. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. And huge congratulations on your 700th Geek Hard show. I think that's such an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, I know. We, we actually were amazing. We were saying when we went off the air last week when we hit 700 episodes i was like uh it's like yeah we didn't kill each other that's pretty impressive <laughs> yet yet yes. well, that's why that's why we do it now we used to do it in a studio that's why we now we yeah, do yeah. it in separate rooms just to make sure that we keep the show alive <laughs> by staying alive ourselves totally yeah we were too cheap to buy plexiglass to put up between the two of us so yeah. this is this was the cheaper solution plexiglass does like i'm surprised how you know costly it is yeah it's true yeah. And you guys are homebodies, so I mean, this works out for the better, right? Well, well, that green green's a homebody. I've always well, explained that 
Yes. Green green is an indoor cat. I'm an outdoor cat. That's just kind of the way we are. Yeah. No collars on this neck. That's uh, just uh, just a. I don't. I like to be pampered. I like the AC. I like the heating. I like having food. And no collars on this neck either, because uh, nobody wants to own me. But anyway, <laughs> we got uh, <laughs> we got we got to get into this, man, because we're not here to talk about us. No. We're here to talk about, of course, your short. You are the blue. For mm-hmm. people who haven't had a chance to uh, hear about the film, what is you are the blue all about? Mm-hmm. Um, so you are the blue is a coming of age drama. It is about a teenage dancer named Kay, and um, she is a. Um, seemingly normal girl. She's trying to live a normal life as a teenager. Um, She loves art and music and dancing and spending time with her best friend, Aiden. However, uh, she is forced to reckon with her identity amidst having an invisible illness and an all-consuming secret. Yeah, yeah. And uh, of course, this film came about because you yourself have had to deal with autoimmune disease. And this was kind of like you looked at what was out there in the world of art to that symbolizes what you're going through and you couldn't find it. So you decided I'm going to tell the story myself, right? That's right. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, when I was going through that very difficult time, you're trying to find something that eases your experience when you're going through something. Um, and, um, you know, I, I just thought, you know, millions of people go through, you know, ch- challenges with their health, their has to be something out there and I really didn't find anything that captured a lot of the emotions that people go through like the grief the loss the isolation the fear and I wanted to um, really examine that as well when you are a younger person and you are dealing with something like this that's very challenging and that is um, you know really impacting your day-to-day life yeah, it was interesting as I was watching it because while it's not um, exactly a horror film, uh, mm. there are some tones about it. There's, you know, the isolation and and you know and and a lot of the emotions that they're going through, the terror and all these things. That I was just like, oh, it's it rem- it reminded me of a lot of what I see in horror films. And then it just I started thinking about it because I I have not had to deal with anything like that, like of how how overwhelming that could be for a person to, to be alone. And especially as you mentioned, like the character here is as a teenager, right? Like it's, I had a hard enough time just getting through my teenage years with like basically nothing wrong with me. And that was hard enough, let alone adding on something that is, you know, uh, very traumatic for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm really glad that you, um, just saw that in the in the film because stylistically it was something that I wanted to incorporate and I and I didn't want it to feel like it was necessarily one genre I didn't want to put myself in a box and so I really wanted to play with those stylistic moments and the the dreamlike moments because for me it was like moving through this fog and not knowing you know what my next day was going to look like so that's why we really did kind of border on horror-like stylistic elements to really get our viewer in the shoes of the character. Right, right, yeah. And uh, just coming up with the way you wanted to tell this story, it was kind of interesting to me on how you didn't just sit down and decide, I'm going to start writing a script. You actually went through different avenues of artistic exploration to find it. 
right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think traditionally a lot of people think like, okay, if I'm going to, you know, write a movie, I'm going to sit down and going to put, you know, I'm going to jump on my computer, open up a page and just start writing. And for me, it was a very different creative process. I started with poetry first and really needed to figure out like what, you know, what I was going through. Um, and so I did that for about a year. It was just, you know, writing different poetry, you know, feeling sort of the rhythm of the piece. And um, I wanted to incorporate that later into the film itself. So after I wrote poetry, I then went to music next because music for me, I'd just gotten back into playing the piano and it was something that was for me, for nobody else. And so in writing the music, I could really feel again, the rhythm of the piece before even exploring the story of the piece. Um, and then I just started collecting images. And I think for me, that's the funnest part about the creative process is going, okay, like what are the images that I want to incorporate? So for me, whether it be, um, you know, there's the images of the blue butterflies, uh, a lot of ocean image, imagery in the film, started collecting those. And then really from there, the, the characters started to emerge. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's like, it's one of those films, it's, it's very, like, as I mentioned, it's, there's some, like, you know, uh, uh, scarier-ish moments in there, but it's also uh, very beautiful at the same time, right? Like, there's this, especially as we go through the story, like, there's this, you know, uh, transformation towards the end, as it were, um, for the main character. At least it looks that way, you know? I, I know with short films... Mm -hmm. One of the great things about short films is sometimes you don't, you're not always a hundred percent sure what, how it ends. You, you get a good feeling. You know, mm -hmm. I like, I like to think it was ending on a positive note. I, mm -hmm. I, I hope, but, uh, it's, uh, it's always, in, it's always interesting to me see how, uh, short films are done and, and you have that. Is this, a, is this kind of a story something that you would ever like to, you know, uh, expand outward and, you know, make it into like a bigger project, like a feature or, you know, are you satisfied fully with t the way you told the story within the short itself? Mm. Um, I think this is the story. I'm, <laughs> yeah, this is it. This is the story. I am developing a feature, but something um, quite different, right. um, like in terms of everything with subject matter. But um, I am very much still interested in working with, uh, young adults. Um, I'm an acting coach as well. And I just, I love working with young adults. And so, um, but aside from that, this story, it's like, I feel like everything I have to say is in this piece is in my 14 minute. This is it. For me, I think it does come to a really great place that by the end of it, that leaves the audience you know, sort of thinking about it. And I hopefully, hopefully they can think about it for days to come. And that was really, you know, something that I intended that it's like, okay, you saw the film, but hopefully you're thinking about it still the second, third, or even, you know, it could be like a month or two from now. Well, yeah, yeah. no, totally. It, now you mentioned that, uh, of course you, uh, you're an acting coach. You work with a lot of young adults and when you got into making this film, one of your basically your students was just perfect for the role. Eden Summer Gilmore had become age appropriate for it and everything. Was that 
it being your directorial debut, was it good that mm-hmm. you were you were glad you already had a rapport with your lead actor and had been guiding them through their performance even before this? Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely um, helped so much on set with having that rapport because we already had that language established and it really saved a lot of time just having that relationship and that trust. And with it being such a complex role too, it was um, really great that we could trust each other in that. Um, But like initially when I was looking for someone to play Kate, I had no idea who it was going to be. Like we went through an entire audition process with it and I saw, you know, close to like 50 audition tapes for it so in that very thorough search yes I'm going to see you know people that I know through the industry um and I because it's my you know was my project my first you know my the first time stepping out as a director I watched every single tape because I did not want to miss anybody I and I watched them from like start to end and for me and I know that you guys had Anna Hopkins on the show that was talking about like the essence of the character. And for me, that was so, it was, yes. Like once, you know, I saw Eden's tape, it was like, yes, like that's the essence of who Kay is. And, you know, even though I didn't know who Kay was eventually going to be, once I saw her tape, it just clicked. Yeah, you know, and that was actually brings up a a great point about Eden herself, you know, like she's she takes on this role. It's, you know, she goes through it like you could tell that she like grabbed onto it and, and, you know, and wore it like a coat and just made it her own thing. I just wonder if you could talk about like what that that experience is like on set, like as you're working through, you know, and seeing her perform and just take Kay to the levels that you mentioned that, you know, you didn't necessarily see originally when you wrote it. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the things that Eden brings to her role so beautifully is that really rich inner world, like in just a breath or a glance, everything is communicated and felt. It's a very visceral experience. And so we had a chance to, you know, rehearse everything prior, you know, we had the luxury of time. So we took apart, you know, we broke down each and every scene, gave her the notes, had her digest that so that when we got to set, we weren't working about, we weren't worried about some of the technical aspects of it, that we could focus on the direction. And really a lot of things that we focus on and, and how I coach my actors as well is being present with your breath. And it's one of the things that I think she does so well in this film is being present with her own breath in the moment and where it's going. And I feel like her breath in in our film, it's kind of like a soundtrack in and of itself. And, you know, again, carries the audience through that journey. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely see that. And, you know, for your first short, like I... I like the little things like the the fact that we do, we feel that as an audience, that the breath kind of carries it through the journey. But then also, you know, some of the interesting shots that you decided to go for in this film, like the the dance scene looks totally different. Like it seems like a very dynamic piece in the film. The end scene, a very, you know, whimsical, also has its own feel. You were incorporated a lot of like looks and styles into this. And I know that you were very excited to get into the post-production because of course, you know, Mm -hmm. talking to actors, 
you know, that you do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the, the creating the elements and stuff, you, you know, you've done that, you know, as you mentioned, going through poetry and music, but post-production was the, the animal you had not conquered yet. <laughs> and so what was that experience like, the actual going through the, creating the film again in the editing bay? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. It was, uh, I don't know. It was like, it's hard to put into words because when you're directing something for the first time, you're, you, you kind of have an idea of what your post is going to look like. Cause you've been, you know, imagine the film, you've seen all the footage, but then it's like, when you get into even the editing part, the, you know, even just sitting down with Peter, my editor and going, okay, like this is what I'm feeling in terms of tone and rhythm. Like that's another art of storytelling. And once you have that cut down and you start to bring in, you know, your sound design and, and, um, you know, music, it completely changes again. So I feel like every single, single stage, there's another transformation to be had. And, um, for me, that was just so exciting to actually move through those steps. And I had a mentor that walked me through it, Jem Gerard. And I remember calling her, calling them and saying, you know, I, am I doing this right? Like, are, are these all of the steps that I need to take? And, you know, they just had such great advice on, okay, who are the people that you need to, you know, go to making sure that you are going through all of the right channels, but there is also a certain workflow that you start to learn. And for me, there was so much more of an appreciation for all of the projects that get made out there and the steps that a director needs to take from beginning to end. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, like, you know, being an actor, you know, like you've acted in front of the lens and that's one perspective. But now that you've gotten behind there, like that must really have opened up your eyes. Like you understood that every arts and crafts section of of the production is doing something very, you know, worthy and artistic. But it sounds like you got a real like, you know, uh, experience as to how important all of that is and why they're so vastly different, uh, you know, yet come beautifully together to create great projects. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, when other directors start talking about their team, like for example, oh, you know, my composer, that relationship is so special because you get to create again, another, like there's another art form that's within that. Um, and you get to have another, you know, you know, language with them when you're walking through the film um, for, for our film, you can hear the the theme music that pl gets played throughout from beginning, middle and end. And, you know, that's another thing that you're getting to design. Um, so I think that there are a lot of really creative designing aspects as a filmmaker that, you know, I knew a little bit about, but in doing it, I have so much more of a deeper appreciation of. Yeah. Well, uh, the film is, is a very beautiful work works in a lot of different genres as mentioned before by green that the the element of horror that comes into this but then also like at the end such a beautiful look it's a very the end of the film feels very hopeful and very peaceful and i think it's gonna i think with the experience throughout the entire thing i think people are really going to get uh an experience of what people go through when they go through this so like I'm looking forward to more from you and I'm guessing you mentioned that you're working on a feature. I'm guessing you're, is it going to be probably with more younger antagonists? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm going to stay, like I said, within the young adult um, range for it. But um, 
I still, you know, I, I love making meaningful and impactful uh, stories that uh, really focus on representing a community that has been largely unrepresented. So um, that's really what my focus is on this. And, you know, with You Are the Blue, I really wanted to um, just lessen the stigma around mental health and, and open that conversation. And as I, you know, head into my feature, that's another thing that I'm, you know, really looking at is how can I make an impact and how can I open the conversation further? Fantastic. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It, I, before I let you go, I, I, I was curious though. There's, I, I always like to ask this of actors who go behind the lens, you know, like as you move forward, right? Like obviously you're working on your feature, you know, mm -hmm. uh, do you want to keep doing both or are you starting to kind of like fall what, like towards the directing more or are you still in love with acting the same way? Mm. I mean, I will always be in love with acting Yes, but I don't think that, you know, for me, there, there doesn't need to be one thing that needs to feel like it's at the forefront. I think that there can be an ebb and flow. And I think it's okay to be a multi hyphenate creative. I think, you know, that's something that I've really embraced. And, um, you know, directing is just, I think, filling me in other ways. And, um, and I, th I think that it's, for me, it's really exciting to always be learning something. And same with acting. Like every time I take on another role, I'm learning something. If I'm doing that through a different avenue with filmmaking, that's something that I'm a little bit more in control of. So to have that, that independence and that kind of agency, I think is really empowering for actors once they step into filmmaking or, you know, even writers that step into filmmaking. Yeah, it's 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 a lot more fun when you get to call the shots. That's uh, that's, that's what it breaks down to totally. Uh, of course. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, the the film You're the Blue is playing next at the Whistler Film Festival on Saturday, December second at twelve thirty p.m. as part of the Canadian Shorts Work Competition titled Women in Focus. So people, uh, check out the Whistler Film Festival if you want to find out how you can see this short. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Beatrice. It's been great talking with you. Really great talking with you two, both Andrew and Mr. Green. There you go. Well, you have yourself a great Thanks. night. Thanks, Beatrice. Thank you. Bye. 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 So that was Beatrice King. Um, as mentioned, the film You Are the Blue is playing next at the Whistler Film Festival on December 2nd. Go to the Whistler Film Festival's website to find out more. And uh, we're going to take a commercial break in just one second. Before we do, we got an email in from John T., a regular emailer who uh, said, now this would be a hit. And it is a, uh, it's a, it's a comic strip of Superman's little brother, Slacker Man. There we go. I think this is probably Mr. Green's personal hero. His mom is like, look at you. Clark was out of the house and saving the world at 18. And Slacker Man's just sitting back watching some TV. Yeah. Having pie on on his bed, no plate. Yeah, that's, that that's the part. It's the pie, no plate. <laughs> that's the part that's real. I'm just like, I don't know, man. I don't. And it looks like it's like a berry pie. There's little like looks yeah. like little circles, like making it like a a cherry or or blueberry pie, maybe. I I don't know, man. That I, that might be a bridge too far for me. 
Bridge too far. There you go. Slack the pie in bed. I'll eat pie in bed, but it needs to be on a plate with a fork. Like I, I I'm not an animal. I don't know. I think Slacker Man might not be the uh, the hero Mr. Green wants, but he's the the hero also, that he needs. <laughs> I, I will watch it. I would totally watch it. There you go. I totally. All right. Will. So John T, Thank work you. on a treatment, and uh, yeah. we'll uh, we'll see what we can do to get that into production. Uh, we're going to take a commercial break. When we come back, we will be reading some more of your emails and giving our review of. Next goal wins right here, Geek Card Radio 101. Remember when you used to go to the comic shop and browse through the stacks, picking up comic after comic, talking to your fellow customers and the store owner about what books you should buy? What kind of outside people daywalker nonsense are you talking about? I don't go outside. Well, thank goodness for Back Issue Bloodbath with Andrew Young and Petula Neal. Well, we talk about comics old and new. Mostly old. But sometimes new. Every Wednesday, new episodes drop at geekartshow.com or wherever you catch your pots. Check it out and have yourself a good. Welcome back to Geek Hard right here on Reality Radio 101. And now back to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Welcome back to Geek Card, friends. Andrew Young and Mr. Green here. In just a moment, we're going to be giving our review of Next Goal Wins. But before we do that, just want to read an email we got in from George P. Of course, you can send us an email at geekcardshow at gmail.com. We'll read it live on the air uh, within reason. Uh, George P. writes, my review for Next Goal Wins. It sucked. That's all. Bad, bad, bad. Boring as hell. Hey to that old guy. Oh, shouldn't be talking about me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, old man. George P's right now. George P. Oh, man. That's... Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. I, I used to know a George P. A good guy. I wonder if it's the same guy. I knew him back in 1810, so probably not. But I don't know. Maybe they're related. Well, his last name isn't P. We just... We just say the last initial. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then maybe it's a totally different guy. I don't know. Well, anyways, George, good seeing you. Talk to you later. Maybe another, you know, 200 years from now. Yeah, you never know. All right. And there he goes. Yeah. 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 So, George, uh, uh, George, George left nothing to the imagination about his review. No, what, but what my favorite is, is like, it's like George wrote it. And then went, no, no, I got to add more to this. Because he's like, it sucked. That's all. And he's like, I don't think I've stressed my point. Bad. Bad. <laughs> so we know how George feels. Thank you very much for email. Yeah, if you, you want to send in your email, you can, of course, geekcardshow at gmail.com. It reminds me when you, you know, you know, when you're like, you're out and you're talking to that one friend who just, who explains it, but then doesn't think you've gotten the point enough. 
Yeah, no, I know a guy. I know a guy. Uh, he's he's sitting right here talking to me right now. But anyways, <laughs> let's see if he does that. Does that this review for next goal wins, directed by Taika Waititi, written by Waititi and Ian Morris, based on a true story, produced by Searchlight Pictures and distributed by Walt Disney Pictures. Here to read the synopsis: a man you just heard from, but he's back again. The old man. Hey, yeah. I always find it funny. I always forget, right? Like, usually somebody brings me up and I come on, right? And then, then I go. And then I'm like, oh crap, I gotta go back and do the other thing. So then I gotta sign in again and do all this stuff. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. You should just put yourself on pause, bro. Or like cryogenic freezing? No, I just, I mean, like, you know, just hit like the mute button or something and then just wait for us to call you back. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought you were just explaining it's like, you know, like, Maybe I should take a break, go for a nap for another hundred years or so, you know. Yeah, well, I do that. You never know. You know, there was yeah. one time there was one time I was so tired for a whole year. I thought I had mono. Turns out I was just bored. Hey, man. This is what you get when you hang out with uh, Van Winkle too much. Yeah, yeah. I taught him everything I know. Uh, for sure. Anyways, the next school wins, eh? The story of an American Samoa soccer team who suffered the worst loss in World Cup history, losing to Australia 31-0 in 2001. With the 2014 World Cup approaching, the team recruits a down-on-his-luck maverick coach to help turn their fate around. Yeah, you know, I did that once. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, uh, I was a maverick coach. Well, no, sure. I coached the guy who played Maverick. I was James Gardner's acting coach for a while. Oh. He's good. Yeah. He's good. I Here, I was thinking you were going to talk about Tom Cruise, but uh, is the other Maverick. Tom Cruise wasn't a Maverick. Mel Gibson was a Maverick. Oh, you're saying that Maverick. I'm talking about Maverick Maverick, not Top Gun Maverick. Too many Mavericks in Hollywood. I'll tell you that much. He's not even the only uh, Maverick. Uh, you know, there was also Mel Gibson. I did mention Mel Gibson just a second ago, but you weren't listening. But anyways. Uh, I skip over some of what you say. Yeah, it's, you have a terrible... You, you know what the thing is? We've been talking about it, all of us, at our meetings. We talk about the fact that you you don't think people get it enough, but then you don't listen to people. Like, come on, man. Think. If you want to think people don't get stuff enough, maybe listen to them so you get what's going on. Get it? I, Got it? Good. What was that? You know what? It's reasons why people like me stopped believing in humanity 300 years ago. That's there he why? goes. There he goes. My God. We got some emails in. Michelle B. writes in, Hey, geeks, I have to agree with the other emailer. It did stink. It was pretty boring and dry. Skip it. Hey, old man. Oh, is somebody talking about me again? You notice that? It's like... That's the thing. I think if I stayed here, people wouldn't talk about me. They want me to, I go away, so they want me to come back. That's what it is. Hey, Michelle, have a good one. There he goes again. <laughs> He's quick. Ugh. Stevie writes in, I love the, the heading, the title, the subject line is mm. crap. Yep. Crap. All caps, crap movie. Watched 15 minutes of it and then stopped. Well, there we go. All right. 
So we got a lot of fans of the movie here tonight. And I hope uh, our review can do it justice for all of you. Uh, but thank you. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Michelle, for your emails. Uh, we're going to get into our review right now. Mr. Green, of course, you and I saw it all the way back on a Sunday morning at TIFF at the Toronto International Film Festival back in September. Was it a Bef- Saturday morning? Yeah, I said Saturday morning. But you said Sunday just then. Yeah, I know. You got to start listening. <laughs> I I'm said pretty Saturday. sure you said Sunday. Yuri, what I say? Saturday or Sunday? I think you said Sunday. Okay. I think people write in with uh, <laughs> whether or not you heard Saturday or Sunday. So we saw it on a Saturday morning at TIFF. We did. We did. We did. We did indeed both go see this on a Saturday morning, the second Saturday morning of TIFF. Right. Our last chance to see it. Yes. Much like American Samoa getting a chance to win a game. It's like their right. last chance. Yeah, we went and saw it, and uh, uh, I, this was yeah, this was our last uh, press screening too, if I'm not mistaken, as well, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it uh, I, I'm not going to be as harsh as uh, as our emailers. Uh, is it a great film? No, no, of course not. It's it's it just goes right into that, you know, uh, uh, sports movie kind of melting pot. Everything is the same. It's, you know, like, you know how it's going to go. There's mm-hmm. nothing. That's the thing. There's nothing shocking in a sports movie. Um, I have yet to see a sports movie in a long time. It's like probably like, I don't know. There's out of the hundreds of sports movies that, the, that Hollywood makes. Maybe five are like, wow, that blew my mind. Mm. You know what I mean? Like. And that's and I'm not trying to crap down on all other sports movies. I still like them. There is still something about the whole idea of overcoming an adversity and, you know, like cool runnings, which this is reminds me a lot of uh, not all, also not a great film. But you know what? Just like this one. I like it. I have fun. You know, I can't really complain. Am I looking for amazing performances and amazing storylines? Uh, that This is not that's not that movie. But that's okay. You know, Fassbender is doing his Fassbender-y thing. Um, and it's also, I'll say this, it's nice to see Fassbender not playing somebody that I'm terrified of. Mm. Which, Although he kind of is a terrifying character, to be fair, in this film for a period of time. But still played for laughs, so he's less terrifying, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't say he's terrifying at any point in this film. He's curmudgeonly. He is curmudgeonly, but he's not terrifying. For some people, that would be enough. Yeah, but not for these people. Like, none of them seem terrified. No, nobody in Samoa is going to find him terrifying. That is fair. That is fair. Especially in this film. Nobody finds him at all terrifying. No, because they see him as just like a little white kid that they found at the mall and told him how to get back to his parents. So there you go. You brought up Cool Runnings, and it's funny because when I was watching this film, the thing I thought is that this feels very much like a 90s film because mm-hmm. they made films like this all the time in the 90s. Yes, they've made films since then, but this had a very <laughs> yeah, 90s. They have, Andrew. They, they absolutely have. Yeah, have. They have. They have made films since we, then. We've been doing it for 14 years. I, I hope there's new movies. Yeah, those are uh, those are 
art expressionist piece. They're yeah. kind of different. <laughs> but uh, they, what I'm saying is they have made films like this since the 90s. Yeah, of sure. But this one felt especially like those 90s ones because it almost, like, unlike other sports movies, the sports comedy kind of ignores the sport for half of it. You know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. it's not really – it's not really about them going through the drills and trials. It's yeah. about what's the funny thing that we can use the drills and trials to set up. And so it's a different, a sports comedy has a different feel from like a sports sports movie. And when you do a sports comedy, you tend to do a lot more tropes than you would in just a regular sports movie because you have your sports tropes and you have your comedy tropes. And so you're putting them together. Um, and because of that, I thought this, if it was a Saturday afternoon and I was flicking through and I came across TBS and this was on, I'd probably sit back and watch it. But I don't know about, you know, this isn't maybe like an event movie. This isn't like a, ooh, we, we got to get the family together and go out and see the, see the next goal wins, see the sacker. Yeah, no, I would totally agree with you on that point. Um, this is, uh, like, it's not a horrible film. It's no. just, it's just, it's just it, kind of there. Like it is, it yeah. feels like, unfortunately, Taika Waititi is one of those guys that really popped when he was indie and nobody knew about him. Mm -hmm. So they'd be like, Oh, where the hell did this film come from? A film about three, you know, vampires being roommates. Whoa. Or like, Oh, it's like two people going and living in the bush. Okay. But as soon as he got to a level of like, Hey, everybody knows who he is. It's sort of like you need to up your game now, and he hasn't done that. Yeah, I think he's in his phase of filmmaking, like to your point, and I and I think it's a it's actually a, a very legitimate point. And we've seen this with with some actors over time, uh, but also especially with uh, with with uh, directors, there seems to be that you know like that amazing like holy crap, who is this person? Mm -hmm. And then they really blow up. And then there's a, there's a phase of their careers, usually about between two to say six years, give or take, depending on the person. Some go a little longer um, where they kind of just tread water. They 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 get sucked into the Hollywood machine, as it were, mm -hmm. and do a lot of, you know, quote unquote, safe movies and don't really recapture that what they were you know, what made us excited for them in the first place. And I think mm -hmm. Taika is kind of in that position right now. And I'm, I'm more hopeful for to see where he is in about three or four years. Uh, and if he gets out of this and comes back, kind of back towards that indie stuff that he was doing and trying to do something a little bit more uh, engaging and, and shock, because like, I really liked his first Thor film, but love and thunder, like, well, because much like this film, Doing the gags are what's most important to Taika. Mm -hmm. And it really was heavy in Love and Thunder, and it was still kind of prevalent here, is that he's not thinking about, oh, people didn't like it just because of your gags. They liked the human emotion. They liked the connection between the characters. And that's where he's suffering. He needs to get back to those, you know, those actual strong connections between characters. That's what's missing at the moment from his movies. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And that's like, that's why I say, like, I give him a few more years. Hopefully that, that'll be enough to reawaken those like super creative juices and we can get back to like what we, you know, enjoyed about his early work. Right. Exactly. Um, so are you saying see it in theater, skip it all together? 
Uh, no, I stream it. This is just uh, like, it's not, it's not offensive. This is great you know, like for family and stuff like that, but yeah, just stream it. I think it's a good safe place. Yeah. It's eventually going to show up on the old Disney plus. So I think if you can wait out till then you'll, you'll have an okay time with it at home. Totally. Yeah. I'm sure that's going to be like the third week of January or something. Like, it's not going to be very long. There we go. <laughs> These there things go. don't seem to take long anymore. Exactly. So we're going to take a commercial break now and have some whiskey, beer and wine and uh, when we come back, we'll be talking with Trevor Solway and Colin Van Loon about Tales from the Res right here, Geek Card Radio 101. Want to advertise on Geekard and be heard by thousands of listeners? It's easy. It's simple. It's fun. Email us at geekardshow at gmail.com for information on our advertising packages today. Welcome back to Key Card right here on Reality Radio 101. And now back to your host of Key Card, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Welcome back to Key Card, Andrew Young and Mr. Green here. And we're going to get into our last interview of the evening. Um... They are a director and a producer of a new series, that, uh, a web series that's available on APT and Lumi. Please welcome to the program, Trevor Solway and Colin Van Loon. Okay, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming okay. on, guys. How you doing? Hey there. Doing pretty good. How you doing? Not too bad. Doing really uh, well. Nice uh, Friday afternoon. Well, there you go. That's great. Um, so, of course, we have you guys on tonight to talk about Tales from the Res. We've gotten to check out a few episodes of it. Of course, there are six episodes of its first season. you got another season coming on the way. For people who haven't had a chance to find out what Tales from the Res is all about, what is Tales from the Res all about? Uh, yeah, Tales from the Res is a horror comedy anthology series that adapts, um, you know, Blackfoot, ghost stories um to the screen in uh, you know in a horror comedy sense similar to uh tales from the crypt are you afraid of the dark goosebumps you know american horror story that kind of stuff right and this idea kind of came from you watching those shows as a kid and then also people in your family telling you about the the blackfoot urban legends and kind of those two things kind of merged together to create this show right yeah you know um Grew up in Sixaga, uh, in Howard East of Calgary, you know, kind of a prairie, um, rural res- reservation. And, uh, you know, not, not a lot's going on. And, um, you know, I grew up watching a lot of TV in the nineties. I just never seen myself or people like me represented in that space, especially in these really cool things like, you know, in horrors or sci-fis and these genres 
where I craved, you know, um, our stories. And then also at the same time being immersed in our stories raised by, you know, uh, my grandparents or just, you know, my cousins. And so it's a real dream come true to, to finally, you know, um, see those two worlds meet. Yeah. It, it, and, it's, uh, sorry, go ahead, Colin. Oh, I was just going to jump in. I was just going to say like, uh, some of these stories are, are very, um, prolific through the prairies, you know, like, uh, when the devil walked into the Queen's Hotel is a, is a really pro- prolific story that everybody kind of heard a different version of growing up. Right. Yeah, no, I, that's, and that's kind of where I was, uh, I was about just to go to is that like, it is, it's cool that you guys are doing this because uh, obviously, um, you know, all first nations have some version of some of these types of tales, like it, in whatever ways, like in all cultures will have that, but it, we don't, we have not seen to your point, a lot of first nations stories coming in and, and telling these kinds of uh, mythic tales, you know, horrific tales, you know, that you guys are, are, are showing here. And it's, uh, it's super cool to see because we recognize elements of it, obviously from, you know, different uh, things that we may have seen culturally, but, you were seeing it now through that lens and it's, you, you know, you guys have like culturally have a very rich heritage of, of storytelling. And it's, uh, it's great to see that come to life with, you know, like it's, it's clear that you guys have a passion for this. Yeah, definitely. It's like, uh, you know, Creighton film, we filmed all of it back in six ago where, and in Blackfoot country where these uh, stories originated from. And so that's a real power and essence. And that comes through in the series, like the land really plays a part in it. And, you know, there's like, you know, we have an episode called um, something in the water where the water spirits come out of the Bow River. Like there's an elemental um, aspect to this show. Um, and, you know, just growing up hearing these stories, they were told to us as if they were real. I, they actually happened. And that's the way we like to believe it. Um, you know, if we tried to treat it as like a myth or a fairy tale, it would come across very phony, which is which is how Native people have been presented in cinema for the past hundred years as these very one-dimensional beings. And so to treat this with the authentic- authenticity and the respect that it deserves, I think you're really seeing true characters and, and um, who are going through these very, you know, um, horrific plots and abnormal circumstances. Yeah, because like you, you bring that up and talking about how the the authenticity of the stories, and what I find that really makes it feel authentic is the inclusion of humor. Because of course you're talking about how these stories have been told to you, you know, from from the various Uncle Randolphs in your life. Those those stories are not just going to be given to you as you know a horrific tale. Of course, there's going to be storytelling added into it. So like. The elements of humor, was that really important for you guys to work into these stories? Yeah, you know, humor is um, part and parcel with, with the culture. And, um, you know, huge shout out to uh, Joe Duckchief. You know, he's been um, Uncle Randolph since day one. Yeah. Yeah. And Joe, is this like, He's not a trained actor or a familiar face. He's just some guy from the reserve who gets the character, you know, knows people like this. And, you know, and a lot of these stories that we grew up, Noppy stories, you know, we had Noppy makes an appearance in episode six. Noppy stories had to be outrageous. They had to be funny or they wouldn't have been able to be memorable. And in order for these stories to be passed on generation, 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 they had to stick out, you know, some crazy 
stuff had to happen. And so, you know, that's where a lot of the humor comes in is because, you know, you all, you'll always remember a good laugh. Speaking of crazy stuff, when you were shooting episode six, some crazy stuff happened while you were shooting, correct? Yeah, we were filming that episode. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a couple instances. That one in particularly, like it's um very emotionally heavy episode and a lot of like it's called Sand Hills because that's where our spirits go when we when we die and it's it's an actual place in Sixaga, um but it's also like a spiritual place where you know we believe that's where all our ancestors are. But we didn't we didn't actually film there just to, you know out of respect for yeah, for the ancestors. But yeah, when we're filming, like we had this TP scene. And we had a heck of a time getting that teepee up. Like this, it was windy. <laughs> it was like badger holes, and there's everything was kind of working against us. And you know, we have a schedule, and there's no room for error on on a big shoot like this. And with you know, the schedule has to keep going. The show must go on. So you know, like <laughs> it took us more time we thought to set up that teepee. And my shot list went from like six shots to one. <laughs> um, <laughs> And there's another instance where we're filming this really emotional, the apex of that scene. And, um, you know, our, our main character is having a, a realization and a healing moment. And then the lights started flickering. Um, and so, you know, it was a really great take, but unfortunately we couldn't use it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a really, it was, it was it didn't, I didn't feel scared, but it just felt like, you know, we weren't alone in that house filming that episode. I think what um, Trevor forgot to say, you know, like uh, during when we were setting up the teepee, you know, the miracle there was that nobody hit a badger hole. Like we were in a field filled with a million badger holes. It was super windy. Um, the teepee, you know, everybody was, there was like 10 people. Some people were even from the cast. They were trying to help set up the teepee and uh, nobody hit a badger hole, which uh, is like million to one odds, you know. Um, so yeah. we were really lucky there. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. It, wow. Um, I just, it just seems like so like odd and weird that, you know, like you're having those kinds of like, you're doing a show where weird and odd things are, you know, on the plate. And as you know, that's what we're being served and we're expecting that, but you guys are having that, you know, some instances behind the scenes. Um, you know, was that, did you guys like take stock of that and think about that a lot? Or is it just now you look at it, you just, oh, it's, it, it's a, it's a bit of a, you know, a funny tale to tell yourselves about, you know, and other people about, uh, you know, your filming experience. Well, I think before any camera turned on, before any funding was secured, we did a lot of uh, consultation or protocols kind of work. Like we went and um, I guess not interviewed, but like just had conversations and tea with uh, elders in our community and just asked questions like, can we tell stories about, you know, um, the water spirits um, or, or, you know, different kind of entities on the reserve? Can we film here? Can we film, you know, at this house or this location? And we got a lot of things answered and it totally drastically changed, you know, um, episodes and, and plans. And I think if we, we did that work to protect ourselves spiritually, um, not just, you know, as a matter to check a box or out of respect, but I think there was... Um, there could have been a lot of uh, spiritual danger, I guess, if we didn't do that work. So, Right. So uh, in a way, it is still respect, respect to the spiritual nature of it. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, Trevor's uncle, Ike, is a, is a elder and, and uh, you know, pipe carrier. And um, 
you know, we started out uh, the shoot often with Ike coming out, uh, holding a circle, doing a smudge. And like that work was really important. And um, I think it helped the shoot a lot. Yeah, no, definitely. Now, when you originally got, came up with this idea, you pitched it at the Imaginative Film Festival. So, and they didn't go with that pitch. But years later, this year, you guys got to show the show at Imaginative this year. Was that was that a fulfilling moment to be like, ha guys, we still made it and it's fucking awesome. Was that, was that a good, was that the uh, kind of feeling yeah. you had? Uh, it was, you know, it was a full circle moment. And like, in a way, like when we pitched it, you know, all those years ago, it was so electric and it was so, the energy was just amazing that like, um, we knew it all, it was always, always going to get made. And so like, there was no real hard feelings. Um, and then when again, we come back that same theater that we pitched in, it was like a packed house. It was, there wasn't an empty seat in the house and to see like everyone just celebrating it. And I think there's a lot of young filmmakers there who are pitching like an hour before our our screening who maybe felt emboldened that, you know, even if you didn't win, you know, you can still make it happen and just to keep at it, keep persevering. And so, um, you know, that's always kind of attitude we take and I'd imagine native, especially like there's just a real camaraderie and community where you don't really feel in my, in my experience anyway, like competition. That's awesome. Yeah. And like so much love to Imaginative, you know, I think, um, like Trevor said, that kind of energy that was in the room at the pitch that really filled us up and gave us the, I guess, fortitude to keep working on the show. And I think, you know, the, the show that got made sort of got made the way it had to because it got much better over time. And I think, mm. um, you know, Trevor Trevor's an amazing writer and he gets better every day. So I think that that time really helped us. There you go. So it was the, it was the original fuel to keep the fire going. That's very cool. That, that is awesome. I, I Trevor, I, I got to ask a question, though. I keep noticing it in the background there. Is that the clock from the show? Yeah, it is. It's yeah, because it, it's just a little blown out. So I wasn't 100 percent. That's awesome. That <laughs> That's uh, I. That, I like that you have that there. That's fantastic. If, for those who are not can't see what I'm actually talking about right now, and when you see the show, the show's title, well, one of the things it has the clock as part of the uh, the the credits, and it's uh, it's in his ba- in the background of his office here, and it uh, that's awesome. Is it, you, so did you design that yourself, or you know, and wanted to keep it, or was it something you already had that you just kind of like I want to put this in the show and put the t- title in there? No, actually, it's my production designer, uh, Chris Markowski, surprised me with it on one of the days. Like, he asked for the logo show, and then I, you know, I wonder what he's going to do this with. And then he showed up on day one with this clock. And it's beautiful, you know, and it's this neon kind of, you know, it's in the it's in the uh, Queen's Hotel episode. And so, um, you know, I got the tomahawk here, too. I got a few little um, Easter egg <laughs> show throughout my house here. That's awesome. Well, uh if people are, who are in Toronto next week on November 24th at 6.30 p.m., Blood and the Snow Film Festival, uh, they'll be screening the show. They'll be screening Tales from the Red, so definitely check it out. You can find out more and get tickets at bloodinthesnow.ca. But if you're not in Toronto, you can check it out on APTN Lumi and uh, stream all six episodes. And then you guys are, are you guys already at work on season two? 
We are. We just started the the writer's room on Monday. And so we already got like a bunch of great ideas. We're we're mentoring a few young blockwood filmmakers from Sixaga and they they came with nice. uh, some really scary tales. All right. Well, fantastic. Awesome. Well, we look forward to that, man. And uh thanks so much for coming on here tonight. Uh hope you both have a great evening. Cool. Thank thanks you. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. So that was Trevor Solway and Colin Van Loon. Of course, you can check out the series on APTN Lumi. Uh, before we go, we got an email in from another longtime listener, Don S., who says, Hey again to the geeks. The film was bad, very bad. Good interviews tonight. Enjoyed them. Hey to the old man. Mr. Green Bacon Rules. Hits all the bases, Don. You yeah, hit yeah, all yeah. the bases tonight. You know what? You said it all, man. You said that's it all. That's it. Don Don did the the the, the final tour of Geek Card right there in that email. There you it's, go. It's there great. you go. So let us do the final moments of Geek Card and tell the good folks where they can find us. As always, if you like what we do here, you can find additional content over at patreon.com slash geekard. For everybody who participates in that right now, we thank you guys ever so much. You're a huge Thanks. help. Additional content always available through YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. Yes, even Pinterest. Search Geek Card Show on any of those platforms and you'll find us there. Of course, check out our website, geekcardshow.com, for news, for more news, reviews, and the podcast version of this very show. Available on Mondays after 2 p.m. If you didn't listen live or you're super forgetful like I am, the best way, the best thing you can do to hear us, Andrew, is what? Is to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, be it the iTunes, the Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, wherever you catch your pods, and please leave a five-star rating review while you're there. Yeah, and I promise to work on my diction and uh, and my speaking skills for next week. As always, continue the conversation with us by emailing geekardshow at gmail.com. I want to thank Beatrice King, Trevor Solway, and Colin Van Loon for coming on the program for Mr. Green and for Yuri in the booth. This is Andrew Young saying, if you're going to geek out, you might as well geek hard on Reality Radio 101. Thank you for listening to Geek Hard with your host, Andrew Young, and Mr. Green right here on Reality Radio 101.